right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in chapters 25, 26, and 27 of Job. They're short. Um, And then we'll take a break from Job until uh, New Year's, uh, and uh, we'll pick it back up again. We're going to talk about Christmas a little bit on these next two weeks. So um, we're getting close to the end. I mean, it doesn't seem like it. Uh, We've got this funny layout here of Job. Job, today in chapter 25, it's really short and about a worthless conversation to even read, but we're going to read it anyway. Because they've come to the end of going back and forth with each other. You know, Job's like, yeah, and then these guys are like, yeah, and they're like, they have nothing else to say, so they start regurgitating the same stuff again. And then we got to listen to Elihu, who does like this four-chapter rant, and it's about the most boring drivel you've ever read in your entire life, you know? When someone's at the end of their conversation, this guy's going to try to just drive it home with a good punch today with 25 and say, yeah, he's not saying anything new. And he agrees with Job on half of the stuff. And it's like he's just run out of stuff to say, but he's going to just make it like, you know how people just get louder <laughs> when they're wrong, uh, but they can't admit it? Well, that's what he does here. And then we get into Elihu who thinks he's going to bore us to death until we just give in and say, fine, you're right. I'm a wicked sinner, you know. So I just thought we'd, we'd do that after Christmas, you know. I, I'm just sparing you that so we don't have to have next week listening to that, you know. Um, Anyway, some things going on. I think it's important to go over that we have Christmas singing practice for the kids after second service today. Um, that's their second one and kind of their only, their last one. So join us for that. Candlelight service Christmas Eve is at 7 p.m. No finger foods, nothing like that. It's just to, just to come. We're going to hold a candle. We're going to do our, a tra- it's a traditional service now since we've done it many years in a row. We actually have a tradition here at Calvary, uh, finally. And, uh, and so we'll read some prophecies and songs and prophecies and songs and, you know, scripture and go back and forth and then just have a wonderful Christmas with your family. Now, that next week, uh, we will have a Sunday service, but we won't have any midweeks. We take that off between Christmas and New Year's. We take that week off. Um, until New Year's Eve, we do have our New Year's Eve party, um, and I don't know the time on that. I'll let you know when we get closer to that. I think it's like, we do it at like six uh, until midnight, and uh, so just so that's the breakdown of what's, what, what's happening. We'll also send it out in the email. If you don't get the email, I'm going to start printing off the email so that you can have a hard copy like a regular old bulletin, kind of. I mean, you know, we're not going to fold it and do anything fancy. It'd just be a sheet of paper with data on it, so, but you'll have it. Uh, you'll have it. Um, okay. Um, we're, Jenny and I are kind of on cloud nine. Um, this farming thing's easy. Uh, uh, Mariah went out to feed her horses, and I come up to help her. I'm going to do the, the, the cow and everything. She goes, she had her calf. She had her calf. You know, we've been waiting for this, uh, this cow we bought who, uh, you know, uh, um, I was going to say with child. It's not the right thing to say. <laughs> I'm still working on the farmer lingo, you know, kind of thing. Right. Or unto us a calf is born. No, you can't say that kind of stuff. That's not right. It's, it's blasphemous. But there it was. We just walk out in the field and there's this little tiny thing out there. I'm like, that was easy. I was thinking I'm going to have to pull or do some weird thing and ruin it and mess things up. And eh, she finds her fifth calf, and there she was. So we're kind of on cloud nine. It was like, oh, phew, you know. Um, anyway, it's exciting to see. And hopefully it doesn't get out while we're here. You know, that's, that's all I'm thinking about now. Because like, eh, it walked under that hot wire. I'm like, what are you doing, you know? And mama won't follow what would follow, probably, I'm learning. It just break through everything to get to it, but then came back under the wire. I'm like, why is this not hurting you or surprising you or anything? So, anyway, 
cute little guy or gal. We don't know yet. It's kind of hard to tell. It's a little hard to tell. Don't make fun of me. We'd, she won't let me walk up and, you know, look. And I, Is that an umbilical cord or something different? Or what is that down there? So I think it's a female. I think it's a heifer. And heifer is a cow that hasn't had a baby yet. Cow is like the word mama. I'm learning this. All right, let's... Chapter 25. Talk about a string of drivel that you didn't need to hear at church, right? Bildad, chapter 25. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes peace in his high place. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? Dun, dun, dun. You know, it's, it's so dramatic. Um, and half that stuff Job said. He's already said that. He's like, yeah. You know, and as I'm reading through this today and studying and getting ready, I'm like, this is confusing. It doesn't make sense. It's not like the rest of it. It's not, it doesn't have the same timing. Everything's off about this. It must be me. So I start reading different commentators to say, okay, God, I need some help here because I'm not getting this. And it's exactly what they said. This is confusing. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't line up with anything. I'm like, all right, I could write a book. All right. You know, I'm right on here. Because it doesn't. These are things he said. Um, How then can man be righteous before God? That's what Job says in chapter 9, verse 2. He knows this. This is his own thing. And sometimes when you're talking to people about things and you're arguing with people about things, which I'm learning and have been walking away from these things and not even starting the conversations anymore because it's, it, there's no fruit to it. It's just a wrangling of words, you know. When they don't have anything else to say, they start saying anything. As long as my mouth is still moving, I'm still in the fight. It's like, you don't understand. You're agreeing with me. You're agreeing with me. Yeah, but you're wrong. Okay. You know, and that's where he's at. How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm? I guess that makes it more powerful to finally end your note on, and we're nothing but dirt and gross, creepy things, you know, man. I mean, if that makes you feel better, Mr. Bildad, you know, to exalt God in the end to the highest, which nobody's doubting any of that in this whole conversation, or to bring man low, well, that almost sounds like he doesn't even want us, you know? Bildad falls into this trap of in trying to diminish man's pride in his own strength, which men like to do to each other. We just like to bring each other down sometimes. I, and I understand there is a prideful spirit that needs to be brought humble, but in humility and in that place of, of lowliness is where we're supposed to live as Christians. Don't forget we're made in his image. Nothing else on this earth is made in his image. We were the last thing he created. He breathes life into us, and we were created in his image, and there's a reason for that. We are special. We are above. We are better. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm so tired of people saying dolphins are smarter than us. No, they're not. They're not. I don't care how big their braid is. They're dumb. They're fish. I'll eat them. It's, there's nothing special about them. God has made us in his image. He describes himself with our attributes, I mean, you ever think about that? I mean, if he's this great and awesome God who's above us at all, 
he talks about white hair and he's talking about his hands and he's talking about his feet and he's talking about we're, we're made in his image. And that's important to remember. There is a lot of grace and mercy for us. There's a lot of love for us that he doesn't have for everything else in creation. He loves it because it comes from him and it's perfect and we've corrupted it and we do need to work on pride. That's fine. But the redeeming, the redeemer, Jesus Christ, came to redeem us our souls, for us to live forever with him, that we'd spend forever with him. We're important. And so when someone goes down this road, you know we're nothing but maggots and worms. Okay, now you're against God's thoughts and will towards us, and that's offensive. You can't let that stuff sit still and and settle in someone's heart because that is not how he wanted us to live. When God describes us, he says, I've made you kings and priests by my son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for your sins. I've made you kings and priests. God is forever trying to build us up and lift us up and to remind us that if you're fallen, if you're low, if you feel like a maggot and a worm, that's on you. That is not my thoughts towards you. My thoughts towards you are precious and as the sands of the sea, you couldn't count them. I know the hairs on your head. I know my plans for you and they're good plans. And I've got things for you to walk in, things for you to do. I mean, that's all he talks about. And then when we talk to each other, you know, you're a worm, you know, you're a maggot, you know, God's like, thanks for the help, but could you be quiet? Because you're not helping me at all. We sometimes have that with, when you have a lot of kids, especially the older ones, they end up being the third parent in the house, you know, they like to help. Well, you know what? Okay, we got this, you know, I, <laughs> I know you'd love to ground them for all eternity over here. Then you've got some really great ideas as far as punishments go. Um, but you're in the same boat as they are kind of thing. And I think God looks at us that way sometimes as people. Would you just tell everybody what I think of them? And would you reinforce my plans and my thoughts for them? I don't need you to be creative down there, you know? And that's what I feel like he's doing here. He, Bildad's being creative, and it gets him in trouble. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Uh, Timothy is being written to by Paul, and Timothy is a young pastor, and so Paul is trying to encourage him to watch out for people that are like this Bildad in the church. If anyone teaches otherwise, and you have to read, I didn't want to read the whole chapter, so you have to read one and two and and beyond uh, further back if you want to understand otherwise. Good stuff. And does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness... Here's who they are. Let me define them for you, Timothy. They're proud. They're proud. In their ability or their thought process and to bring you low, they somehow feel like it's their calling by God. They place themselves in a position of pride. And and the only way you can get to that position is through pride. My job is to bring everybody down. Mm. That's a prideful thought, you know? That's only, only the pride. They know nothing. And they're obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. And from which those arguments and those words, here's what comes of that. Envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Pretty strong. Just walk away from it. You don't have to engage in that. They're doing it on purpose. They're trying to exalt themselves. They're trying to bring about... uh, a superiority in the room, you know, kind of thing. And you know what, Timothy? Just walk away from them. Don't waste your time. There are some people that God has been working on and want to know the love of God, want to know the truth. There are other people that just love to argue about 
tiny, tiny little jots and tittles in the word, you know, little tiny pieces of it. It's like, look, it's not, and you can almost see Jesus say that at one point. Look, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Now, Jesus knows full well that the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were arguing with him weren't healthy. But if that's how you want to go about this, look, it sounds like you guys have it all under control. Sounds like you don't need a savior. I'm going to work with the people that do need a savior over here. I didn't come for the sick. I came for, or didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. It's an interesting thought. Um, Of course, he ministers to them. And of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees that knew they were sick, that knew they hadn't, Paul being one of them. Paul was Saul of the Sanhedrin. He realized this is not taking me where I need to go with God. And he realized that he need grace. And it broke him and he brought him to the right. Um, and, and Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus by night, he realizes that although I'm in a position of the religious ruler, I don't know what I'm talking about, you know, and I need help. And he comes to Jesus by night and gets brought to that place to where he ends up being one of the guys that buries Jesus in the tomb. So there are those guys in that category that understand they're, they're in a position but they understand, they're honest with themselves, I lack. And so they know they're sick in that position. But for the rest of them, look, it sounds like you're okay. And it's almost like Paul is giving Timothy that permission. And I would bring it over to Bildad then, back to this. Bildad, it sounds like you've got it all under control. Why are you here? Why are you sitting here? I mean, because we're way past trying to comfort me, Job might say. It's not helping. And if you're here to condemn me and I'm not buying it, and this is your final argument, I guess it's time for you to go home. You know, because you have run out of words and you're regurgitating some of the things I've said to you in the past. Chapter 26. But Job answered. And now Job goes through a, a long list. Um, the breakdown here is Job is going to speak from 26 um, all the way through 31. He's got chapters and chapters of his final, you know, hoo And then Elihu is the one I was telling you about that gets really boring from 32 to 37. He just runs on and on and on and on and on. And then finally, God steps in in chapter 38. So that's our breakdown of what's coming. 27 through 31 is Job. 32 through 37 is Elihu. And then 38 through 42 is God, which is everything we've been waiting for. It's just so awesome. It's, it's worth the wait, but they still have to do their talking here. So Job responds to uh, Bildad. He answered, how have you helped him who's without power? He's, he's upset. He's directing it right at Bildad. Bildad, why don't you enumerate all the times that you've helped people without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? How have you declared sound advice to many? To whom have you uttered words and whose spirit came from you? Interesting way to put it. I want to follow up with that. He is referring back to four, Job four, when Elphaz goes through this little thing um, and says that I, 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 was, I, I was in a trance or I received it in a dream or I had this wonderful thought come to me by God. And it's almost as if when Elihu or Elphaz, one of the other buddies, says that, it's like, I don't, I don't know how to put it all together. Because he says it's from God, that should stop everybody from trying to argue with me about it, you know? And people do that all the time. You know, God, God showed me, and what that means is be quiet and don't respond and just receive everything I have for you. And it's like, okay, I'll listen to it. But it also says, even with the prophet, when he relates his prophecy, I'm the one that's supposed to judge. Scripture tells me it's my responsibility to say whether that's from God or not. And, and God has given that. You don't have to just listen to people because they say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Mm, I'll be the judge of that. 
don't judge me. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, because God tells me to. And so because he says this, God showed me these wonderful, well, he was wrong in a lot of that stuff. And so when you confront a person who has invoked the name of God and said, what God has shown me is exactly what's true and it's not, and you show it to them that it's not, they have a decision to make. They either double down on it, which a lot of them do, or they have to back up and say, I was wrong. God didn't speak to me. I'll be the first one to tell you when I think that God is leading this church in a direction or a fellowship in a direction, I think God spoke. I think this is what's supposed to happen. I'll be the, the very next breath will be, yeah, that was not God. Remember looking for this place, and I've told you this story a couple times, but I have to show you examples of where it's important that you want to, by faith, be led of the Lord, but you also have to be humble and, and enough, which I'm a very humble person, just ask me, but you have to be in that place where you can actually say, I'm wrong. I remember driving, before Heinlein moved in to the building that they're in right now, and before Ace was there and Watkins was there, that was just the old Walmart building. And we were over at Hibbit Sports, and we needed space. We were growing, you know, and we needed another. And I was thinking, well, because Calvary's are always in a strip mall. That's all I knew, you know. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a church. We didn't have land. We just, you know. So I was trying to find a bigger building where I could have an indoor playground. I thought that was, I'd been down to a conference in Arizona. It was so hot. These guys built a playground inside their church. They took half of the warehouse and they made it this indoor playground. I thought, oh, that's a great idea with padded fake grass and everything. I thought, well, that's my, so I'm driving around. I'm driving around Walmart and I'm playing over this, this old Walmart. You know, God, we just really need this building and that'd be great. And I felt like God was leading me to call the company. So I called the company. I said, hey, we'd love to, buy it or rent it or what is the deal? And they said, it'll be a billion dollars. A million? No, billion. And I was like, that can't be right. He goes, no, you have to buy out the lease that's already on it. And then you can buy the building and the value of that property is this. And then I'm like, uh, yeah, no, we're going to pass on the billion dollar building. And I have to go home and say to myself, you did not hear from God. And to learn from that. What did you hear? What did you mark down? What did you think was his voice? And remember, that ain't it. Then don't do that again. And you have to learn these things, you know? And so I don't mind someone saying, I really feel like God leading me to do this. I think by faith, that's what we do. We walk by faith. But you have to know that when it's not right, oh, and don't let that dissuade you from trying to walk by faith again or to keep walking with the Lord to figure out your shepherd's voice, to know the difference between yours and his, because sometimes they get mixed up, you know? What do you do with someone like this who comes in and says, thus saith the Lord? So Job confronts him. Bildad's sounding an awful lot like Elphaz, who said, God told me to say this kind of thing. Did he? And so he says, let's talk about what you've actually done. You know, um, why don't you describe some of the things uh, to me? Um, Jude 12, I'd love to read the whole, it's one chapter long. So when I say Jude 12, that's the verse. There's only one chapter. It's not like, you know, one, it is, it's Jude 1, 12, but there's no two. Okay, you get it. So Jude 12, I think, sums up the whole thing because he's talking about people that come in with a lot of words and a lot of wisdom from God and all, and they end up being what he says and describes it in verse 12, they are clouds without water. Oh, they make you think, and boy, they've got a lot of noise, and it's getting dark and stormy, and there's a lot of flashing lightning, but in the end of it, it just passes over, and you got no rain out of it at all. 
which is what in the desert, when they're writing these things, that's what you want. When you see clouds, you're like, oh, yay, you know, uh, precipitation. That's what we need. The ground needs it. And then you see these clouds form in a drought, and they drop, oh, just flew over. It was nothing. Well, that's what these people are like in church. Sometimes they come in and they've got these great words, but they, they bring no life. They bring no water. They bring no, the things that you need, it's just, it's empty words. And so that's what Job is actually saying to this Bildad. He says, you know, why don't you tell me what you've done? What is your life like? Quit telling me how, how awesome God thinks you are. Let me see what you've done, which is what James says too. Let's see it. Verse five, the dead tremble. Those under the waters and those inhabiting them. Sheol is naked before him, God, and destruction has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. Back in the day, they thought it was resting on an elephant or, you know, Hercules had it or something like that. And no, it's just sitting there. It's hanging in the middle of space. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. It's not too heavy for it. They can carry it around and drop it wherever they want. He covers the face of his throne. He spreads his cloud over it. He drew the circle or circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. He stirs up the sea with his power. And that word stir, I read some places even down below here, it can be either stir or calms in the Hebrew. Um, so he calms the sea, or he stirs the sea. And I think that's true both ways. But we have seen in scripture where he has calmed the sea. He can do that. By his understanding, he breaks up the storm. By his spirit, he adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. Just, we're just scratching the surface of who God is. And how small a whisper uh, we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? And so he goes on this little beautiful, not rant, but just exaltation. And that's a good place to be when you begin to describe God and all that he's done for you, um, all that he is doing in this world and the blessing that he is. Um, to respond to Bildad, he just gives him God's character and his attributes. That's a good thing. Um, I, we had a situation recently online where, sorry, I, uh, I know better than to do this, but there I went and did it anyway. Um, I don't try to advertise the church at all, but I thought, oh, let's get it out there. You know, I got, no one wants to have their light under a bushel. You know, you need to, you need to let it shine. And we used to have a sign up on Main Street to let everybody know to find us, because, I mean, it is, we're kind of back here. Um, and if, unless you have something in the newspaper or something, people really have to want to find this place to actually get here, and we don't want to be like that. That's kind of prideful in and of itself. If you were led of the Spirit, you'd find our church. You know, no, they need to know where it is kind of thing. And so I had this idea, and I, and I just put it out there, Calvary Chapel, when we teach the Word, and just put that out there, and I, and I advertised it. Well, that drops into everybody's life, whether they wanted it there or not. And so we got a response from someone who didn't appreciate it dropping into their life. They didn't want to hear about God at all. And so the question came up, um, just to shut us down. And they've never run into somebody who has answers. They're people like that. And so they're usually able to shut down other Christians. So the, the comment was this, oh yeah, well, where did Abel get his wife? And where did Cain get his wife? And it was just so obvious to me. I said, well, then, I mean, I don't know if we've discovered this or not. Maybe you don't know this either. So I, it, 
either his mom or his sister or his niece. I mean, that's it. I mean, maybe that's hard for us to swallow. Maybe it's a tough thing for Christians to, we just don't like to talk about that. It's weird. It's incest. Well, the, the laws for incest weren't till later on in scripture. And so, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, his nieces, it was maybe a sister or something. We, we don't know for sure, but but here's my problem with the question. You haven't defeated Christianity because the world has the same problem. There are views that are out there. There's the worldly view, the secular view of how man came about, the origin of man. And then there's, uh, there's the Christian version. There's Muslim version. There's all these different versions. About, nobody's good, nobody has an answer to that. We, if, fine, you're an evolutionist. Did, did two separate events take place? And then they got together, but we didn't want incest, so two other events took place, and that's how everybody has the same problem with the origin of man. So it's not a, it's not a problem unless you just can't handle that there's an answer. My point was, his thing was, I'm going to shut down religion. And so I went to his Facebook page, and I stalked, which is what I do. And um, <laughs> don't, I don't like being poked. So I start, I start looking at his face, and he's got this big demonic picture there with horns and everything like that. And it says, we, I hate all religions and all this stuff. And okay. Okay. So now I know who I'm talking to. Well, here's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to someone who says they don't agree with Christianity and they hate God because there's no biblical answer for that one question. And yet they've taken it upon themselves to take Satan and make him their prominent, which they learned from Christianity. So the very thing that you deny, you've taken the, so no, you don't deny Christianity. You just don't like, you just don't like God. You've taken the other side of it. You're just on the wrong side of things kind of thing. You know, so you realize you're talking with someone who just isn't thinking it all the way through, which is, I think what, what's happening here. Job's like, you guys, you've got enough wisdom or enough ideas just to get yourself in trouble. You know, you don't have full knowledge and you don't, which nobody does. Only God does. I'm not saying that Job has full knowledge either, but enough knowledge to argue yourself into a problem in your own ideas. You know, where did, where did Abel, I don't know, where did the monkey get his wife from? You know, uh, sorry, it, it's, it's everywhere. It doesn't matter what belief you started, you've got a problem here. And, and so the problem's already solved in and of itself. That's the answer. The answer is there must have been I mean, very close relatives, you know, kind of thing, um, for either group. So your, your argument is foolish at best. And I think Job's discovered that. I'm talking to someone who isn't even thinking things all the way through to their own conclusion in their own life, in their own ideas, you know. Um, and those are the kind of conversations. It's like, well, I could spend weeks and months dealing with this, or I can go to someone who wants to know God who's in a place where they have thought it all the way through that fine, you know, what if you're right? What if there is no God? What if none of this is real? What if Christianity's false? Islam is false. Ju- Judaism's false. Hinduism's false. There is no gods and the atheists are all correct. Okay. Atheists, you've developed a gigantic problem for yourself. A huge problem because your life means nothing. You're nothing, nothing, you're not even the maggot in this story because you're going to die and evaporate and have no memory of this place. And it's like nothing ever mattered. You've got a much bigger problem than I do. But they don't do that. They just want to defeat 
what convicts them. That's the whole purpose of atheism. That's the whole purpose of agnosticism. It's to defeat what causes conviction in their life. If they can get rid of that, they'll be happy. And they make it their gospel to destroy that over there. When they've de- They're not even looking at the problem they've created over here. They're just in the biggest sense of denial. They're denying the denial kind of thing. And that's, what, that's, where, that's where these arguments are all coming from. Bildad has been defeated, but he's in such denial that he makes one final plea, and he sounds like a fool in the process, but he's in denial that he's wrong. And he's in denial and denial. It's just building up on itself. Oh, I can't wait to get to what I say. <laughs> when God shows up and opens his mouth, it's the pooling of ignorance, literally, as we watch this. It's watching these four men talk, and they're just pooling <clears throat> You've got to bring God into the conversation. The Holy Spirit must speak. And knowing that and learning that from all this, you guys are like, how much longer are we in Job? This is important because in my own life, I have to stop pooling my ignorance with everybody else's and I need to let God come into my life and speak. I need to let that living water flow into my life and change me from the, in, from the, from the outside external source of all knowledge, wisdom, and perfection. He needs to come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Because if I keep arguing with myself, I just get dumber and dumber and dumber. I need wisdom to come in, and it has to come from God. So, what have you done, he says. Um, So Job maintains his integrity, and here's what he says. Moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my justice? And the Almighty, who has made my soul bitter? As long as my breath is in me, and the breath of my God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. That is excellent advice. If I don't have anything good to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm going to tell you what I know. I'm not going to pretend to know something I don't. Far be it from me, he says. That is what these guys are asking him to do. This is like a plea deal. That's what's happening here. I don't know how you feel about plea deals. I suppose we have to have it. The courts are so jammed that you just need to plead guilty to a lesser charge so we can move this thing through. Hey, if we take 10 years off your sentence, you want it? (laughs) I'll take it. Well, That's hard to do if you're a Christian and you didn't do what they said you did. Well, if we follow through with this, it's a 20-year thing. But if you take this deal, we'll just give you probation. But you're asking me to say I'm guilty about something I didn't do. Yeah, but if you go to court, you make us go to court, we're going to make you pay for it. And so there's this problem that develops for the honest person. And I understand the debate. I don't fault anybody for taking the plea deal. This isn't one of those times where I'm trying to say, you guys just need to go to jail for for being wrong. It's between you and the Lord. That's a lot of things to throw out there. Everybody's like, wait, I don't don't ever have this problem in my life. (laughs) It is kind of strange, but that's what they're asking. I'm trying to bring it because that's what they're asking him to do. We don't know what you've done, but we know you've done something wrong. Just admit it. And Job has been saying, I don't know what I've done. I don't think I've done anything wrong. I can't admit anything. And so he finally ends up with this conversation. As God lives, who's taken my justice, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me, my breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. If I say I'm guilty, I'm lying. And that would be the iniquity that would have all this coming to me. I would deserve all this if I lied to you and say that I'm guilty, but I don't think I've done anything deserving of this. And he's right. Job has done nothing but be a righteous man on this earth. And God says, I'd like to use him as an example of someone who will not curse me to my face, no matter what you do to him, because he loves me, not the stuff. You know, 
Job is not a gold digger. He loves me for my love, and that's it. He doesn't care whether I'm, you know, taking care of him or not. He, he, will, not, he will not succumb to your pressures. And so it's peer pressure is what's happening here. There's, a bunch, there's three prosecutors surrounding this guy saying, just admit it, just admit it, just admit it. He's like, I don't know what to admit, and if I did, I'd be lying. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemies be like the wicked, and he who rises up against me like the, like the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much, if God takes away, if God takes away his life. I'm sorry, I better read that better <laughs> with right tone. For what is the hope of a hypocrite, though he may gain much, if God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Uh, will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? I will teach you about the hand of God. What is the Almighty? I will not conceal. Surely all of you have seen it. Why then do you behave with complete nonsense? When I talk about God, I'm going to talk about the things I know about God. And you're not going to get me to go off on any other things. I'm going to talk about what I know. And I don't know why you guys are coming at me like this, because you guys know better. You've seen better. You, you've witnessed the same life I've lived. You see the wickedness happening all around you. You see the good and the bad and the ugly. All, why are you acting like, no, it's like nonsense to me. This is the portion of a wicked man with God. The heritage of oppressors received from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall be satisfied with bread or shall, uh, shall, shall not be satisfied with bread. Those who survive him shall be buried in death, and their widows shall not weep. Um, he's just, he's, he's, um, he's he, sorry, I turn off notifications and it keeps going. Um, as he proclaims his innocence, or at least if there is something wrong, I don't know it. He's not saying there couldn't be something hidden. He's saying if it's hidden, it's hidden from me. I'm not hiding it from you, is the idea. Um, and these things are taking place. Um, it's a psalm, and I didn't write down the psalm. I apologize. I've got it, but I don't have the address. I think it's 72. Yes. How did you get it? And I don't have it written down here. Okay. That's so strange. Must have deleted it or something. Psalm 73. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to skip. I'm going to do one through three, and then I'm going to do 16 uh, and 17. He'll put it up here for you if you want to look up here. Or you can look it up in your Bibles. It's good to do that too. Um, he writes this. Truly God is, is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. For when I was envious of the boastful, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, that was a difficult thing for the psalmist. He says, I almost faltered in my faith when I saw how the wicked just do so well in this world. And we've covered that in these back and forth with Job and all. And, and here's the answer. And it's important to remember 16 and 17. When I thought how to understand this, how come the wicked do so well and the good die young kind of thing, you know? It was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. 
they may look like they're doing okay now. They may look like they've got the world by the tail, but when the world ends and they're standing before God, that is something that is terrifying to see the great white throne judgment. And that's how you deal with it. And that's how the psalmist dealt with it. I was difficult. I was stumbled in my faith until I saw their end. And you don't wish it upon them, but you realize now I don't have envy towards them. or I, I have pity. And I reach out to them saying, you don't understand where you're headed. I'm, I'm glad you're a billionaire and I'm glad you have a yacht. And I don't know why I pick on those people. Or I'm glad you're out content being away from God, doing whatever hobby it is that you enjoy to do. It can be that simple. But you're not okay when, it comes, when you come before God. It's, it's not okay. Enough, your sin is still hanging over your head. You have figured out how to put it in the back of your mind. You've decided that you're going to either self-medicate yourself with the world, no matter what that could be. That could be any sort of drug. Um, and I mean not just substances. It can be habits and, and hobbies and just distractions in general. Um, but there's going to come a time when that's all going to be stripped away and it's going to be you and the Lord standing face to face. Are you prepared for that? Because I've seen the end. I know that's coming. I believe on that. And I've figured out that when I show up in front of God, I need something because I'm going to, I'm going to crumble in his presence because of my sin. And he has offered me this forgiveness of sin through his son, Jesus Christ. And I have accepted that so that I can stand. I'll be able to stand in that day. Anybody that does not have Jesus Christ, though, will not be able to stand in that day. And so the, the change in the psalmist's heart is, I now have pity on those people. I used to be mad when they'd boast about all that they had. But now I'm just like, you don't have any idea what's coming. You don't have any idea. And that's where Job is with these guys. He's like, I, I understand who God is. I understand uh, wickedness. And I understand this, but it's, it's all going to come to nothing. Verse 16, though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the just will wear it and the innocent will divide the silver. It's going to leave it behind. He doesn't take it with him. This isn't Egypt. In Egypt, they'd bury the pharaohs. I mean, when a pharaoh died, that was a bad deal because everybody that served him, they got killed. Because this Pharaoh, when he goes into the new life, he's going to need some servants. And guess what, servant? You know, <laughs> I quit. <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough to go into that pyramid and die with him, you know. But they would do that, not just with the people. They'd take the stuff. They'd mound gold because he's going to need a retirement fund in the afterlife. And that's how they thought. And a lot of the world still thinks that in some ways, maybe not that archaic, but they still have this idea that it's going to carry over somehow. And Job's here to say it doesn't. No, it's you, naked as a jaybird. You know, when you left and you came into this world naked, you're going to go back naked. We talked about that at the very beginning of this book. And uh, don't forget that. You can mound up as much silver as you want, as much clothing as you want, but you're leaving it behind for those that needed it. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth, uh, which a watchman makes. The rich man will lie down, but not be gathered up. He opens his eyes and he is no more. Terror overtakes him like a flood. A tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carries him away and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. 
It hurls against him and does not spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him, hiss, uh, him out of his place. I, and we're going to have communion now, but before we get there, I want to talk. It's interesting. Some of the richest guys in the world right now, or most of them are in tech industry, you know, and uh, that's really where all the wealth is right now and where all the future is uh, as far as that goes. And so a lot of these guys are like billion, 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 bazillionaires kind of thing. And they've come to the top of that. And, you know, it's not fun anymore to have another boat, another car. And it's interesting to find out what these tech guys are trying to do now. Now I have enough money that I want to make myself immortal somehow because death is knocking. They realize I'm at the pinnacle here, and yet I have not figured out how to live forever. And so they're trying to develop that now to where they can you know, upload their consciousness to some kind of avatar, some kind of computer. I mean, that's what metaverse is all about and all these things. I don't want to get on that, but it's funny where the mind goes. When you reach the, okay, now I've got a goal. That's to be really, really rich. And now you're really, really rich. And now what do I do? Because I'm still really, really going to die, you know, kind of thing. Well, I'm going to take my really, really richness and I'm going to make a a place for myself. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And until they come to that place where that's not going to work, it's hard to minister to people about Jesus. So many people need to come to that place, whether you're the billionaire or whether you're the guy that isn't, you know, or the gal that isn't, you've got to come to that place where I am going to face God. And I don't know how I'm going to stand before him because I've got problems. I've got sins in my life. Um, And that's when the opportunity is there for us to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, which is why we do this. And I didn't mean to make it a segue, but it kind of turns into a pretty good segue into communion. Um, We do, do this and have this little piece of bread that represents the broken body of Christ. And we have this little cup of juice, it's grape juice, Welch's, but it reminds us of the blood shed for us at the cross. And we eat and drink this together as a family of God to remind ourselves that no matter rich or poor, slave or free, you know, business owner or employee, I don't know what, how you want to word it today, we're all going to stand by ourselves before the Lord. And are we prepared? And this is to remind us, yes, you are. Yes, you are. This should bring us great comfort. This brings us, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't make my salvation stronger, better, any other thing, except that it increases my faith and cause, it reminds me that it's because of the blood of Jesus that I'm going to be able to stand before God. It's because that he died instead of me that I have, I have no awkward, uncomfortable moment with the Father. I'm not going to walk up to this great white throne judgment and go, oh, shucks, I hope you can let me in. I don't have that. The Bible tells me that the believer in Jesus Christ boldly, boldly comes to that throne of grace and mercy in time of need. We walk right in and say, Dad, I need more forgiveness. Thanks. I mean, not that flippant. Don't get me wrong. But that bold, we don't think we can go anyplace else. We know there's only one source for it, and we know that it works and that it's perfect and it's all we need. That's the beauty of this. I know that the blood of Jesus Christ, because it was God's idea, that it's going to work. I don't have to figure it out in my own brain. Hey, the one I serve, the one I know created everything and made me in his image said, this is how you get to heaven. Great. And this reminds me of that. No matter how smart I am or no matter how unsmart I am, I don't want to say anything you know, derogatory, but I get it. 
If I get this, I get it. I get it all. If you've never, if you don't have that, I guess, if this, if this cup and this bread doesn't mean that to you, or you don't understand it or haven't applied it to your life, and you think, well, so far I'm standing before God on my own, this is the day to change that is what I'm getting at. Um, I'm not trying to recruit you because I don't want you to come to Christ because I've said anything. I want you to come to Christ because it's an answer of a question that you've had in your heart, of a problem you've had in your life, and something that you haven't been able to work out on your own. You're like, I don't know how this is going to work when I die. I don't know how I'm going to get to heaven. I don't understand the process. I don't understand. Well, that's what this is for. It's an answer you can take or leave. God has always left it in our hands to take or leave. And so I'm going to give you the answer, okay? Because we have the we have the meaning of life in our hands right here. I mean, we have the answer to why we exist and what's going to happen afterwards. It's right here. So here's the rundown. Man has been given an option to follow God or to not follow God. And if you have followed God perfectly your entire life, then you do not need this and this isn't for you. But if at any point in time you haven't followed God and been obedient to God, and you've gone on your own, and you've governed your own life, then you've made yourself God in one way or another. Either you followed Satan unwittingly, not knowing it was the red guy with the horns. It could have been disguised in many different ways, but you decided not to follow God, and you divided your own way. You've sinned against God. And because you've sinned against God, that's like breaking the law. It is breaking the law. You've got a problem. You've got a warrant out for your arrest that you're going to have to deal with one day at the great white throne judgment. You will stand before a judge and have to plead guilty or not guilty. And because you did it, your plea is going to be guilty. There is no plea deal. The penalty for that sin, for that violation, is death. Separation from God. Because he's perfect and he can't have anything imperfect. And there's nothing you can do and there's no sentence I can give you that would make you perfect in my presence. It's already been, def- you've been defiled. You're You're gone. God, knowing that about us and loving us so much, he says, I'm going to place your violations, your sins that you've committed against me upon my son, Jesus, and he's going to pay the penalty, and I'm going to give you a robe of righteousness. And what that means is you are perfect before my eyes. That's as if you've never sinned. You haven't paid the price. You haven't got a clean slate. I look at you like there was no slate, that there is no sin, and that you're perfect before me. Now, how does that work? This is a little tricky. My sins placed upon Jesus Christ at the cross and him dying for my sins is a little iffy for me because I would think to myself, if I killed somebody and Brad here goes to jail for me, I don't think anybody in this room would consider justice being served. And I don't understand that part of it, except this. When Adam sinned, he sinned for all of us. And so the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, He died for all of us. It's the same thing. So in God's economy, this works. Adam and Eve sinned and took the fruit that they weren't supposed to and therefore changed us forever. And we were all born with a sin nature at that point, every one of us. When Christ died, he took that all away. He's the second Adam. He's the Adam that walked perfectly. He's the Adam that was never full of sin. And when he died on the cross, since it was He was perfect in an acceptable sacrifice for the sins. God accepted it. He was raised from the dead, raised himself from the dead, which means God accepted the sacrifice. That's what it means. That we now have whatever God said happened at the cross is applied to us. It worked. And that's where faith comes in. 
And that's where a decision has to be made, that I believe God at his word. God said that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he was the second Adam, that he was the one that lived perfectly and took sin away from the world, just like Adam brought sin into the world. And I have to believe that. I have to choose to believe that. And that's your choice this morning. Do you believe it or don't you believe it? If you do, that's what this is a reminder of. That the blood of Jesus Christ and his broken body on the cross, we admit it, God, we agree with you. That was the way of salvation, and we've accepted it into our life. No matter how good I do today or how bad I do today, it's not, it's not my performance that gives me entrance or exit from heaven. It's what Christ did at the cross once for all, and now I live for him is the idea. I, don't, I know that that's the best I can do. So this morning, if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, what that means is I believe on Jesus for my salvation. You need to do that. I made it very technical. It's far more loving than the way I brought it out. <laughs> it's a very loving act that just took place. It's a friend who died for an enemy is what happened. And that is something that we don't see in this world. We see friends dying for friends. We see parents standing up for kids and kids standing up for parents and so on. But we rarely see enemies standing up for enemies, you know. And when we were enemies of God, he still died on the cross for our sins. It's a special kind of love that can only come from him. And so that's what we celebrate this morning. And we do so. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment we get to have with you. This reminder of your love for us, this gospel, this good news that although my sentence was sure and that my judgment was coming, that's all off me now. And it's all placed on your son and it's all finished at the cross, like he said. And there will never be a moment where I stand before this great white throne judgment trying to plead my case. I have no case. The case has been thrown out. It is gone. And there's no sin held against me. And we thank you for that this morning. For those of us who are just coming to you for the first time, we believe on you, Jesus. We believe that this is my answer. This is the way of salvation. This is my way to heaven. That you died on the cross for our sins. No other religion in the world has a penalty or a payment for sin. Christianity is the only one. And Lord, we believe that today. We believe that your son is the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. And I thank you for that. Now, Lord, now that I have this forgiveness and I've received this blessing from you, God, I pray that I would live for you that I would walk with you, that I'd be obedient, that I'd pay attention to your voice, that I'd, my life would change from the inside out to be more like you and less like me. That's our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you. If you're visiting, I'm just warning you, we crack our glasses here, but it's not because we're weird. Well, we're a little weird, but not be, it's because it shows that we're a broken vessel for God. And when God has poured into us like he did this morning and how we feel just like we could tell the world about Jesus, that when people come to our vessel, when they come to us, that's what they get. They get Jesus, you know. And so the crackness of the glass that we're about to break just represents our broken lives that have been healed by Jesus. Okay, one, two, three. Have a good rest of the week, guys.